0: I turned 60 a couple of weeks ago and um, I sat down with my brother-in-law out there at Manaya. And we pondered, as 60-year-old men sometimes do, and we were sitting there together and, and Chris said to me, Russ, do you remember when we were teenagers, the attitude of Kiwis toward the gospel? I said, yeah, I do. He said, do you remember how when we were teenagers and we're going to youth group and we're young kids, most Kiwis respected Christians? Most Kiwis looked at the church and said, oh, they do so much good for social reasons, even if they didn't believe in God. Most, Christian, most Kiwis looked at Christians and said, that's probably the right way. And they had some influence at some point from Sunday school or from Bible schools or some Christian camp. And he said, you know, when we were growing up, it was popular to be a Christian. And Chris turned to me and he said, you know what, Russell? If I talk about being a Christian at work today, people act suspicious of me. They think I'm a Perth people hater because I'm Christian. So hasn't the world changed dramatically? And, and I said to Chris, as wise old 60-year-olds sometimes do, anyway, 80, 60-year-olds sometimes do. I said, you know, it has changed. But God God's prepared us for this season, friends, yeah. and, and He's prepared us to make a difference in this land. We need to be wise. We need to be gentle. We need to be spirit-led, but the power of God in our generation is not lacking. We just have to be a lot more uh, informed and targeted than before. Now, five years ago, I read a book by a guy called uh, Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell's um, son. And Sean McDowell said that 15 to 20-year-olds are the hardest people group to reach in the world today. And he said the reason they're the hardest people group to reach is because the world culture's changed, away from believing in one God, to thinking always they're going to be okay, just be tolerant. And he said, because there are questions that young people are asking today of the church, those in the church and outside of the church, and the church isn't answering those questions. And I read his book, and it was really well researched, and I admire Sean McDowell for his research, but I was really annoyed by the end of the book. He said, there are eight questions that young people keep asking and the church isn't answering, and then he didn't answer them. And I was so frustrated. I mean, I don't even like reading books. I read this because I thought it was important. And I got to the end of his book, and there's eight questions he didn't answer. So I sat down and thought, I'm going to answer those eight questions, and I'm going to add on two more. Who is Jesus, and how can you get right with God today? Just to sort of sum it all up. So we've got ten questions instead of eight. Now, I don't have those technical multimedia skills that some of the church do. I, I admire people that can take some information and post it in three minutes or four minutes online. That'll reach tens of thousands. I just went old school. I just went old school. That's what I know. And so I wrote down these eight questions, questions like, aren't all religions basically the same? Why would an all-powerful, all-loving God allow evil? What about same-sex marriage? I wrote down all eight questions, added my two. Who is Jesus? How hey, can you get right with him today? And wrote my little booklet with lots of QR codes and that so people could research more. But it really got me thinking. People need to understand. We need to be skilled, family, at understand the gospel so we can communicate lovingly and powerfully to people. It's not okay to be caught out and look stupid. It's not okay when people come up to us and they ask us questions and we're kind of embarrassed because we don't know the answer. And they ask us questions all the time, difficult questions about faith, about um, science and religion, about all sorts of things, you know. And we need to be skilled to respond. I think of the Apostle Paul. As he got older in life, he journeyed back to Rome for the last time. And it said in Romans 1 verse 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile. Now Paul could say, I'm not ashamed, because he read the book and knew the book. He ended up writing lots of the book. He wasn't ashamed because he was skilled up and prepared. And when people come and ask you a question about God, about history, about Christian attitudes. I mean, I've heard people say, doesn't Christianity support slavery? Because there are bits in the Bible that say, if you're a slave, have the right attitude. So isn't that supporting slavery? You know, I've heard all sorts of questions. I've, I've heard the scripture misused to put down women, which is the opposite. Wherever Christianity goes, the, the state and the place of a lady, a woman, gets raised up. I've heard Christianity used to put down women, And if you hear comments like that, you've got to be able to be well-skilled enough to respond intelligently. A couple of years ago, there's a man in our church called Akish Peretti. And he was so frustrated by the number of young adults who were going off to university and being asked questions that they couldn't answer that he started a study group for a year called Reasonable Faith. Because Akesh, he's a very intelligent man, would say, it's scientific, it's historical, it works, it's true. So learn the facts. So when people come up to us and they hit us with a hard question, we can respond, say, this is a reasonable faith and it makes sense. Matthew 24, Jesus said that in the last days, there will be a decline in spirituality and immorality and it will become as in the days of Noah. We're not surprised by what's going on. But we need to be upskilled to be effective in it in this time. When we went through 2 Timothy chapter, ch- chapters uh, 1 to 4, my intention as we preached those sermons, as we looked at those passages, was to say, what can we learn from Timothy in his relationship, uh, from Paul and his relationship to Timothy about mentoring? Because as a church, I believe God is wanting us to each be equipped to reach individuals for Christ. To be competent in sharing your faith and discipling other people. And there's a heap of resources we've put together to support that. I believe that in the church, and the elders would say this, in, the, in this church, God wants every Connect group leader to be having a trainee Connect group leader. Every prayer group leader, to have a pr- trainee prayer group leader. Every Sunday school teacher, trainee Sunday school teacher, and right across the board in every ministry. And Isaac's the champion of raising up lots and lots of people in the worship ministry. That's the church we're called to. God wants us to be a mentoring church. So we focused on mentoring for the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter ever written. And I jumped past the verse, and I didn't talk about it, and ever since I jumped past it, it just keeps pulling me back, pulling me back. And I really feel to say this is incredibly important. One verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We glossed over it as we went through. The series on mentoring, but I want to bring it back to you. 2 Timothy two fifteen from the New Living Translation. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the Word of Truth. In the New King James Version, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Someone comes up to you and says, in the Old Testament, didn't God order Joshua to get rid of every Canaanite on the face of the earth? Men, women, children, animals. That's terrible. How can you worship a God like that? They say things like that. You've got to be able to answer. They come up to you and they say, haven't I read in the Old Testament that... that, Um, sheep and goats and and bulls were sacrificed and even little lambs were sacrificed in the temple. How can a loving God call for the sacrifice of little lambs? It's terrible. We need to know the Bible so well. Rightly divide the word of God, understand it so we're not ashamed, so we're not put in an embarrassing position. There's nothing in the book that's embarrassing. It's true and it works and it's totally true from cover to cover. But we're living in a culture that's different from other cultures, from other times. In the afternoon at four o'clock, we're doing a workshop from the Steiger Ministries. And young Ben, Ben Pierce, says there are three things he sees in all youth culture all over the planet. He says there is secularism. That, In other words, young people today look at life and they don't see any relevance for God. Secularism says that my goal in life is to be happy, to have a house, to have kids, to travel, whatever makes me happy. God's irrelevant. He doesn't even come to the picture. Ben Pierce says another, another mindset of young adults is relativism. The idea that it is no ultimate truth. It's widely held around the planet. And the last idea, and one we see so strongly in New Zealand, is the idea of tolerance. And tolerance says that all beliefs and all ideas are equal. And so you and I, we're living in this time that God caused us to be born, to exist in. We're living in a city where he wants us to be. And there's beautiful young adults, intelligent, capable young adults, and people right across society that have a mindset that doesn't fit with the word of God. And they're asking questions and they're saying, looking to see what your answer is. And if you can prove you've got a reasonable faith, If you can respond with biblical knowledge, I believe God will get through you and through me and make a real impact on our city. But we need to know. We need to know the word. There is not multiple truths. It's not whatever works for you. There's one truth. I love the fact that the original language in this verse is that we need to accurately divide the word or explain it. And it's kind of the picture of a surgeon cutting an incision in a perfectly straight line. Tolerance has so influenced Christianity today that when people open the Bible, they go, what do you think that means? Oh, what do you think that means? What do you think that means? And they come out with 10 different interpretations. You know what? This passage says that we need to accurately explain, divide it. In other words, when you study Scripture, it's not meant to be hard and complicated. For every passage in the Scripture, there's a primary purpose, a primary meaning. And you might have some extra interesting nuances, but you're not, you, we shouldn't be in Bible studies where someone says, it means this to me, and this person says, it means that to me. It's completely opposite. How can that be right? Paul says, Tim, work hard. Work hard, Tim. Show yourself. To learn the Bible, Tim. And if you know the Bible, and people ask you tough questions in the last days, you're not going to be ashamed. I want to show you something this morning that... Um, hopefully will help you understand how to handle those questions intelligently. So we're not going to have a closing song. Instead of a closing song, I'm going to give you some questions to ask the person beside you. So I'm going to give you some principles now, and then we're going to look at some questions that you share with the person beside you using these principles and what you know of Scripture. What's an intelligent answer for people with a reasonable faith, a faith in a God that works? Now in the church for us, heaps of resources for people who are seekers or for young Christians, one of my favorite resources is a storybook Bible. And that's a children's Bible, probably geared for six to 10-year-olds, maybe six to eight-year-olds. And it takes the Bible in different scenes, and it tells the big story. And you can see God's love going from start to finish, from cover to cover. It's a beautiful book. Bible theologians for years have talked about the Bible being understood, or time being understood in different scenes, different and so God was achieving a purpose in this generation. He was achieving a different purpose in another time period, another scene. And we can learn from that. And they help us in answering those difficult questions. Bible theologians say there are seven dispensations, seven periods of times through which God's doing something different. And they'll help us this morning. I want to take you through them. I'm not looking to inspire you this morning. I'm not looking to get you to respond to anything. I'm praying that together we can go out into the world better equipped to handle questions and give a reasonable answer for our faith. See, number one. People often say, you know what, if the environment was perfect, if there were no weeds, if there were no diseases, if it was all green and beautiful, we'd be happy, we'd live our best life. And that's what we need to do, just make the environment perfect. Now, when I'm out with my grandkids, I pick up rubbish. I try and be responsible with recycling and different things. That's a good thing. But does a perfect environment make for a perfect life, the ideal life to go for? See, number one, the first period of time in history called the Age of Innocence, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates a perfect world. It's not like Australia where everything's trying to bite you or kill you or sting you or something like that. It's perfect. (laughs) There's no weeds. There's nothing dangerous. The lion is lying down with the lamb, just as it will be in the millennium. It's perfect and healthy. And and he says to humanity, our two champions, our representatives, just enjoy, just love it. We're going to do life together. We're going to love being around each other. Just one thing. Love demands a choice. And I'm putting a fruit tree in the garden. Just just don't touch that tree. Do everything else. Go anywhere. Enjoy it all. But don't rebel against me and take of the fruit. The environment was perfect. Did it make for a perfect world? No, it didn't. They took of the forbidden fruit. They rebelled against God. Dispensation 2, scene number 2, is called the age of conscience. It spans a period from the fall for 1,650 years. And many people say to you, you know what the answer to life is? Just follow your heart. Anybody heard that before? Just follow your heart. Just follow your conscience. Just... Just do what makes you happy. Just, just follow your heart, we say. Would that make you happy? So Adam and Eve have a couple of sons. And poor old Abel, Cain followed his heart. Cain just did what felt right to him. And even when he killed his brother Abel because his conscience had become seared, as time went on, his disobedience, his sin, had so twisted his heart, twisted his conscience, he could see killing his brother as being right. And when challenging, he says, i my brother's keeper. And he justifies himself. Following your heart, pursuing your conscience doesn't work. Because consciences don't stay pure, don't stay holy. They get damaged. And Cain and Abel, Abel discovered that painfully and horribly as his life was cut short. Things got so bad as people followed their conscience, as people did what seemed right to them. As they pursued their own lusts, it got so bad that God said, I've got to flood this planet and I'm going to start all over again. People say, just create a safe and happy environment. You'll be okay. That's not so. See, number one tells me so. Just follow your heart. Do what seems right to you. That doesn't work because our hearts are deceitful and wicked and they get damaged. By wrong actions and sin in my life. Well, if environment doesn't work and following your conscience doesn't work, maybe the answer to life's struggles is to, is to found a government. If you elect the right people into office, life will be good. And this next period in history, theologians called the age of government, scene number three, and it runs from Genesis 8 to 11 427 years. Flood waters recede. And Noah's seen there on the earth. And God says to Noah, listen, Noah, I want you to govern this planet. You look after the planet for me on my behalf. You're the governor. You're in charge. You run the planet. It should be good, shouldn't it? With good government. If we just vote the right people at the elections this year, shouldn't that sort our problems out? If we just have the right government. You know, Noah couldn't even govern himself. He's put in charge of the planet, and..." He couldn't even govern himself and he made wine and he drank too much wine and there's a terrible scene of him in a tent naked and he "He messed up. Government's not the answer. Following your heart's not the answer. A perfect environment is not the answer. In fact, the government that was set up, that came into being was so bad. As the nations grew, as the population grew, they decided, you know what we need to do for our safety, for our identity? We need to build a tower. They made this governmental decision. Let's build this great big monument. And it's going to be all good and we'll make a stat- statement and we'll have our identity and it'll unify us and the opposite happened. The Tower of Babel's often been called the Tower of um, Babel, you know. It was joined together by slime and bricks. And I look at governments, I think it's right that we vote and it's always right we pray for those in leadership. But people in leadership are imperfect people. It's still slime mixed in with the bricks. It's not the answer. It's not what we need to live our best life, to live our lives as we're meant to lead, lead, live it. Perfect environment didn't work. Following your heart didn't work. Hearts become contaminated, and government wasn't the answer. So the next scene, the next dispensation scene number four in the Bible, is called that the season of vision. Or well, some people would say the season of being positive. You know, if I just have a vision... And I talk to my vision, I focus on my vision. If I just say positive stuff and just remain positive, life's going to go good for me, isn't it? And there's Abraham, and he's given such a vision. Oh, Abe, I've given you a beautiful wife, and you're going to have so many descendants. It's going to be harder to count than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. Abe, hang on to your vision, just be positive. Did it work? Did it work? You know what happened? As, as time went on, a famine came. And as time went on, a famine came, and Abraham uh, looked at the food in Egypt and said, Oh, I've got no food here. There's some food over there. God has said, Abe, I'm going to bless you, but just don't go to Egypt. Egypt's a, a prophetic symbol of the world, all the way through Scripture. Just go, don't go to Egypt, Abraham, and I'll bless you. So Abraham takes his wife, Sarah, he takes it to Egypt because he's out of food and he's worried and he's stressed. Being positive wasn't enough. Having the vision wasn't enough. It was a good vision, though. Absolutely a good vision. God fulfilled that vision. But having the vision and being positive wasn't enough. He, he made terrible, terrible decisions for his wife and himself. And it wasn't until he's was 100 years of age and Sarah's 80 that they have that ch- first child and, and that v- vision begins to outwork. Being positive doesn't work. Um, is they stayed in Egypt for so long that three million of their descendants grew up in Egypt, baking bricks in the hot sun, working as slaves. Wasn't a good decision, Abraham. Being positive and focusing on the vision wasn't enough. Then people say, well, if being positive isn't good enough or being, having a vision isn't inspiring enough, maybe fear sits in. Maybe, maybe the answer is to have rules and regulations and there are lots of laws. See number five. Theologians call the the age of the law. If I just had the right standards to work to, if we just had good rules and principles for people to follow, then we'll be successful, then we'll live our best lives, then we'll find what life's all about. The age of law extends from the time the children of Israel were on Mount Sinai until the time Jesus was lifted up on Mount Calvary. We have an age of law. Did it work? Did, did obeying the law make life perfect and save humanity? No, it didn't. Humanity's unable to stick to the rules, to keep the rules. It broke the law, even on the first day. What's the first law? Love the Lord, your God. Put him first. They worship no one other than him. Moses comes down from the hill, and he um, sees them worshiping Baal, worshiping a golden calf. And he's got the tablets, and he straight away breaks the tablets. They've, they've broken the law already. The law was given for a simple reason. The Old Testament's given, to, as a schoolmaster, to teach you and I that we're sinners. We wouldn't know what holiness looked like. We wouldn't know what sin was without the Old Testament. But its purpose is to cause us to say, heavens, I'm a sinner. I need help. I need a saviour. That's the purpose of the law. It doesn't save. It doesn't give people a great life. It points us to our need, to our need for Jesus. See number six, our current age, the age of grace. This period of time stretches from uh, the cross until the rapture, and we've been in it for about 2,000 years. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2.8 For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. This is the age that we're living in right now. We can see that all the other ages, all the other scenes were preparing us for this one in history. The period of grace. There are two more ages to follow us after after we're with the Lord. Number, Number six, the age of tribulation. People wonder what the tribulation's all about. It's about waking up the nation of Israel it's about shaking up the unbelieving world it's a period of judgment where God will pour out his wrath on the world it's about making up the full number of believers there are people that say if only I saw God I'd believe they're going to see God they're going to see his power I don't believe you and I'll be here they're going to see it and still many won't believe the age of tribulation is coming, in the final age, the age of the kingdom, the millennium for a thousand years, where there will be peace, where people will live incredibly long lives, so that if you died at the age of, a, say, a couple of hundred, you'd go, "Wow, how unfortunate. Bob only made it to 200, and everyone else is making five or six or 700, you know? You'd say, "That's unfortunate. In the millennium, the lion will lie down with the lamb. In the millennium, God will, Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. It's a wonderful time. Now I'm going to take into some questions in just a moment. And I'm hoping you're sitting beside somebody you like to talk to, somebody you enjoy, if not make a friend this morning. Because we're going to close with some practical questions rather than a song. Okay? People often say, if we just had the right environment, if we just get back to the garden, it's all going to be sweet, it's going to be good. But it wasn't. Oh, just follow your hearts. It'll all work out. Really? Aren't our hearts full of bad things? Don't our consciences get seared with age? I think the answer's government, some would say. Just vote for the right party this year at the elections. But if if politicians can't lead themselves, how can they lead a nation into righteousness? But if you just be positive and you keep your eyes focused on the vision, how did that work out? When worry came, when stress came. But if we just had rules and principles and regulations, we don't need God. We just need to live good lives and stick to the rules. Can anyone other than Jesus stick to the rules? I don't think so. And all the acts of history, all the dispensations, they lead up to this final age, this age of grace. God's unearned, undeserved favour. You and I are living in a world right now, friends, where there is secularism. So most people, younger people in particular, have been indoctrinated from multimedia, and it's not their fault. It's just all around them, everywhere they go, to say God's not relevant. God's not part of your picture. He doesn't belong there at all. They've been indoctrinated with um, pluralism. So it's okay if you believe what you believe, but don't push it on me. All ideas are okay. And it's not that far from tolerance. Tolerance is all ideas are equal. That's the environment we're speaking into. But the funny thing is, young adults feel that in New Zealand. They feel that right around the world because of multimedia. So we understand the culture. And I understand that the gospel of Jesus still works today. It's the power of God for salvation. And we need to upskill to understand the word in such a way that when we're hit with the questions, we know the responses. We're going to practice it in just a minute's time. I want to tell your friends that if you've ever committed a sin in your life, you may have lied once, you may have stolen something once, hated on someone once, imagine sex outside of marriage once, put things before God once, dishonored your parents once, worked seven days a week once, got greedy once, you're not holy according to the Old Testament, you're not fit for the kingdom of God, you need grace, you need to encounter the person of Jesus. You need to believe in who Christ is. You need to turn from your sins specifically, be baptised in water and the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't done those things, if today was your last day on this planet, you're in a very dangerous and very scary place, not a place we want you to be in at all. And we have a wonderful prayer team. We'd love to talk to you after the service. The only way to be made right is to believe in the Son, to accept grace. Now, I'm going to conclude this morning with four practical questions And I'm going to give you a minute to turn to the person beside you and answer them intelligently and reasonably. Reasonable faith, as Akesh would say. Question number one. Steve loves to get high in marijuana. I mean, a lot of people like that. He comes up to you and quotes Genesis 1, where it says, everything God made was good. So he says, you Christians must believe that smoking weed is good too, don't you? How do you respond? One minute, person beside you. Ten seconds, friends. Now, I've had a number of people ask me that question, make that kind of a statement. And the person beside you, you probably would have got an answer something like this. In that first scene, in that first dispensation in the garden, there wasn't weeds or weed, There wasn't um, magic mushrooms or anything else like that. It was healthy. Everything in the garden was healthy. But it changed because of man's sin. And that first scene, there was a perfect garden. That didn't exist. When you talk about marijuana and drugs today being natural, no, it's not. It's not natural to the Garden of Eden. It's natural to the fall. And so we use the dispensations to answer that. I ask your questions Tell your neighbor your answer to this question. Your neighbor approaches you and says, if you're a real Christian, you should worship God on the Sabbath, on Saturday. How do you respond? One minute. Ten seconds, friends. If you're a real Christian, you'd be worshipping God on the Sabbath, wouldn't you? The law is a season that's gone. And Jesus, when he preached the Beatitudes, didn't repeat that, tenth, that commandment about Sabbath. They repeated the other nine. He took them deeper. He didn't repeat the Sabbath. It was part of the law of the Old Testament. We're no longer under the law. We're under grace. It's about relationship, not about rules and regulations. The season we're in is about grace. Question number three. Someone knocks on your door this afternoon. They've got magazines in their hand, probably a nice little badge. Maybe a little kid beside them as well. They say, Look, I, I, you've probably been to church at some stage, but you don't know the full story. If you read our magazine, uh, if you study what we study, the special studies we can do for you in your home, you know, you could be one of the 144,000 the Bible talks about. What's your answer? One minute. Go for it. Five seconds, friends. The 144,000 are people that come to faith during the tribulation. We're not in the season of tribulation. Scripture says they are Jews. They're Jews that become Christians, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel, 12 being the number of complete family in Bible, Bible prophecy. It's not for this, you can't be 144,000 now because you'll be gone during the tribulation. you only become 144,000 during the tribulation when people turn to Christ. And you need to be a Jew first, be one of those people, incidentally. Last question. Your friend says to you, I don't believe in God or any religion or all that stuff. I think all you need to do is just follow your heart. That's the answer. One minute, tell the person beside you your last response. Yep, okay, here we go. Um, Your friend says to you, I don't believe in God or religion or all that stuff. I think all you need to do in life is follow your heart. 30 seconds. Let's just say your friend says to you, I don't want religion, I don't want Christianity, I don't want anything like that to be happy. All you need to do is follow your heart. That's what people say all the time. What would your response be to that, that comment? <laughs> I'm with you, Dan. I'm with you. <laughs> Just 10 seconds. heard a theologian saying in the front row, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. And they are. And they are. Even when people think they're doing the right thing, often they aren't. And it's a crazy idea. It's part of society we live in that says whatever's on your heart, whatever works for you is the right way. It's not true. There's one standard and it'll set us free and it'll keep us walking up close to the king. And if we follow that, there's freedom, there's joy, there's a fulfilment, powered life, there's a connection with God that lasts for eternity. If I follow my heart, I'm going to go in all sorts of strange and different places. And as Abel found out, following your heart can end up hurting or even killing other people. I want to get you to stand, friends. I'm going to read those two scriptures again, Romans 1, 2 Timothy 2, and I'm just going to pray for you. Because this is an age like no other age. The cultural of the multimedia its changed our cultural mindset in New Zealand as it has around the globe. But Christianity is a reasonable faith. It works. It's true. We just need to think it through. We just need to study the book. And God will use you in this time, in this generation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I picture Paul writing this. You know, when Paul wrote this, he would walk in the streets of Rome and people would say, Caesar is Lord, like they used to say Heil Hitler in the, old, in, in the Second World War. They'd greet each other with Caesar is Lord and there's this little balding, bow-legged guy going, ah, Jesus is Lord. That's what he did. That's dangerous and it cost him his life. Jesus is Lord. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He says, Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, New King James Version. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a good worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, the word of truth. Let's pray for each other. Lord God, you knew when we'd be born. You know the season that we'd do best in. And it seems to be, Lord, that in this season, there takes a bit more wisdom, a bit more preparedness in our hearts and our minds to be effective in mission. Father, we believe your love just is so powerful. But people need your love and they need reasonable answers to reasonable questions. And we pray for each other. God, as we pick up your word, as we soak in it daily, transform our thinking, build up our confidence in our faith and cause us to be people that speak truth, that speak intelligently to those that raise questions around us. Father, we as a church are believing that this church and the churches of other denominations in this city i going to see hundreds and thousands of hearts turn to you. And Lord, we want to put our hands up and we want to be prepared for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless your family.